Just like a muscle, here we will grow stronger for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. So please, brothers and sisters, join me here at Jacked for Jesus. Welcome back, everybody, to Jacked for Jesus. Um, today I am doing the ninth day of the series, Fruits and Promises. Um, and this will be the last day of this series. Um, but today we are discussing the fruit of kindness and the promise of servitude, which is another kind of abstract promise. But it's a promise I want to get into today. And I think it's a nice way of rounding out and finishing this series as we walk in our um, journey with the Lord. So first I would like to pray. So um, Lord, I pray that you, you Lord Jesus Christ, would reveal yourself to us and that we would accept and obey your commandments with your supernatural joy, peace, and love, Lord. I pray that we would get caught up and fixated on your word character and and purposes for our lives. Help us, Lord, to seek and find you intimately and personally, Lord, so we may not be sent away because you didn't know us. Fill us, Jesus Christ, with your advocates and representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, and be our strength, safety, and refuge. And Lord, I just, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to read your word and enjoy your word and just um, rejoice and hearing and listening and talking about your your word, Lord, that you have so graciously given us. That is truth. That is truth. And, and Jesus, please, all of us, please make our lives centered around you. Please let us walk in complete faith and trust in you, Lord. Um, bless us, Lord, and be patient with us and discipline us, for we know that those you discipline are your true children, Lord. Um, convict us and grow us, Lord, and just um, pour out your joy. Remind us, Lord, that even though you are sanctifying us, it is not a joyless process, that it is full of joy, actually. Getting to know you more, walking with you more, being more in step with you, Lord, that you will, that, that we will be Filled more and more with your joy, more and more with your love and your peace. Um, Holy Spirit, please go ahead of me and before me in this episode. And let everyone listening hear not myself, but, but your words, Lord. Your wisdom, your truth that you have given us, Lord. And pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay. Um, with that, I'm going to be reading from uh, Matthew 23 to start out today's um, time together. For everyone who it alone, this is the first book of the New Testament. And it's actually the first gospel that we find in the New Testament. That's the gospel of Matthew. Um, let me see how long 23 is. I might split it into two, or I might read it straight through. I have not decided yet. I'm just going to go ahead and start reading from the beginning of chapter 23. Denunciation of the Scribes and Pharisees 
Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seats on the chair of Moses. Therefore, do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens that are hard to carry and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their uh, phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love places of honor at banquets, seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and the salutation, Rabbi. As for you, do not be called Rabbi. You have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no one on earth your father, for you have but one father in heaven. Do not be called master. You have but one master, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You lock the kingdom of heaven before human beings. You do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow entrance on those trying to enter. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You traverse sea and land to make one convert, and when that happens, you make him a, a child of Gehenna, or hell, twice as much as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If one swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if one swears by the gold of the temple, one is obligated. Blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold sacred? And you say, If one swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if one swears by the gift on the altar, one is obligated. You blind ones, which is which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gifts the gifts sacred? One who swears by the altar swears by it and all that is upon it. One who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. One who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who is seated on it. I actually think I want to split into this in this into sections. Lengthwise, Matthew 23 isn't horribly um, lengthy, but there is there is a lot here, <laughs> um, and I don't want to miss anything. So I'm going to stop here at, what was that? I think I stopped at verse 22, so I'll mark, I'll make a mark right here. Um, okay, so... What's the context for this chapter? Um, the first thing that we need to know, um, looking um, right before into um, Matthew 22, Jesus talks about the parable of the wedding feast. Um, uh, he also talks about the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. He says, this is the greatest in the first commandment. That's Matthew 22, 22 uh, 37 and 38, in case someone wants to know that. So Jesus is kind of preaching and speaking in parables. Um, and he has been speaking to the, the Pharisees this whole time. So this is, this is kind of an extension of what's happening in Matthew 22. And I think it's important to understand his audience here. And that's that's the Pharisees. Um, and this is important. So for, 
for everyone who doesn't know, or just as a reminder, the Pharisees were like these um, ultra-religious, I don't know if sect is the right word, but like group in the Jewish religion. And they were like, um, they lived by the law of Moses as best they could. They, they like, they would memorize the scrolls. They would memorize all of the scripture and the Torah and, and some of the other books in the old Testament. And they were just, um, and, and in this, in the culture's eyes back then, they would have been like the best religious teachers that you could ever expect to find. But we are, but here we have, um, Jesus speaking and he is hey or he ha, he he is and he has been heavily rebuking the Pharisees and that's part of what he's talking about here in um, Matthew twenty three and so the first thing he kind of talks about is that he can see that they do they have taken their seats on the chair of Moses and he says like do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you. But then he says, but do not follow their example. And this is interesting because some of what the um, these Pharisees would be doing is observing some of the things in the law of Moses. So like at some point in the New Testament, Jesus talks about how they uh, strain their water um, with a cloth so that they don't... Uh, accidentally ingest a gnat so like there's forbidden foods there was um traditions for the sabbath and all of these things and if you want to know more about that um go back to exodus deuteronomy leviticus and you will learn in depth kind of the scope of what the law of moses was talking about uh, and you'll see the context that the law of moses was given which i think helps us understand better in our modern time now um, but so it's interesting because so some of these things would be some of the things they would be doing is observing the things in the law of Moses. And he says, well, you should do those things, but don't follow their example. So Jesus, in a way, is kind of separating just actions versus actions with a certain type or a specific type of heart posture, which is part of the reason this ties into the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And then he continues. Um, he says they they lay they lay heavy burdens that are hard to carry, put them on people's shoulders, and they will do nothing to lift a finger. They love honor. They love acknowledgement of their of their uh, position. They love to be called rabbi and master. He's alluding to the fact that they take a lot of pride and self righteousness, um, and they love the praise and the honor that comes with their position when they're called to be humble when they're called to be merciful and gracious. Um, as a shadow of who Jesus was meant to be. But in this in this time now, the Pharisees were not like that. Um, he even calls them hypocrites. He says, you lock the kingdom of heaven before human beings. So he's saying these are the people that are meant to guide the Israelites and the people to God. And he says, he does, Jesus says, you're not doing that. He says, you lock the kingdom of heaven before them. You're like you're locking them out, and then you go out um, and make converts, and you make them twice the child of hell that you were. So this is this is strong words. These are strong, strong words. This is 
intense rebuking. But we know this is Jesus Christ speaking. So everything he is saying is true. So as Christians, we should sit down and reflect a little bit and say, if these Pharisees had like basically in our position, like half the Bible memorized word to word, you could say a sentence and they could know where it was. And that's what they would know. What book, what spot, if it was in the middle, you know, like they did all of these things in the name of God. And Jesus is calling them childs or children of hell, childs of Gehenna. So as Christians, we should, we should sit down and reflect a little bit. We should, we should, or at least for me, I should, I should sit down and ask, am I like the Pharisee? Am I like the Pharisees that is trying to be holy, is trying to please God, but trying to do it in my own strength and by um, receiving position and power and honor and praise? Is that how I'm? trying to serve God or am I trying to serve God in a different way? Like what is my heart posture when I do these things to try to build the kingdom? Because if these Pharisees were, were being rebuked like this, uh, how much could we as Christians be rebuked as well? Um, and I just want to pause and say, thank, thank the Lord that he is gracious, gracious and patient with us because obviously we need it. Um, and then he calls them blind guides. And then he kind of um, talks about how they put almost more value in the gold and the possessions of the altar and the temple rather than the temple itself, um, which is very disgraceful to God. He really does not like that. Um, there's a scene some of the Gospels where Jesus actually like knocks down tables with a whip because they're selling things in the church, in the temple, in the synagogue. And um, Jesus, Jesus' wrath came out and um, rebuked them and said, don't make my temple a marketplace. So, and kind of ties back into what he's saying um, in that section here. But I think the overall three theme through all of this is separating our actions from our heart posture. Not that they're mutually exclusive. Um, I, don't think, I think they do weave in with each other. We have to think as Christians that if we just do things because we're told to do them, um, that is a form of obedience. But as Christians who have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, by having faith in his grace and his works, we should be operating out of and working out of a place of salvation. And that we shouldn't be working by our own strength. We have been given um, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. We've been sealed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. God has his word here that we we have access to. And so we shouldn't be operating by what we think is right. We shouldn't be operating by um, our own strengths. We should be entirely dependent on God. God. We should acknowledge the fact that without Christ in us, we we are deaf. We we are weak. We're helpless. And so that it's, it's a specific kind of uprightness and heart posture that ties into our fruit today, which is kindness. Um, but with that, I think I'll continue reading on through Matthew 23. I just want to add a little bit of context, a little bit of explanation of what's going on here. So starting Matthew 23 at verse 23, I'll continue. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You pay tithes of mint and dill and cumin and have neglected 
the weightier things of the law, judgment and mercy and fidelity. But these you should have done without neglecting the others, blind guides who strain out the gnats and swallow the camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You cleanse the outside of cup and dish, but inside they are full of plunder and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, cleanse first the inside of the cup, so the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead man's bones and every kind of filth. Even so, on the outside you appear righteous, but inside you are filled with hypocrisy and evil doing. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build up the tombs of the prophets and adorn the memorials of the righteous. And you say, If we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have joined them in shedding the prophets' blood. Thus you bear witness against yourselves that you are the children of those who murdered the prophets. Now fill up what your ancestor ancestors measured out. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how can you flee from the judgment of Gehenna? Therefore, behold, I send to you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of, some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and pursue from town to town, so that, so that there may come upon you all the righteous blood shed upon earth. From the righteous blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Amen, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. The Lament Over Jerusalem Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how many times I yearn to gather your children together as a hen gathers her young under her wings, but you were unwilling. Behold, your house will be abandoned and desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, and wow, <laughs> that's, that's all I can say about this is wow. Um, and this is an interesting this is an interesting chapter to read talking about kindness, but I think I think it's a very good example of what kindness can look like, even if it comes off as kind of um, being critical or um, I don't want to say over dramatic, but I mean Jesus' reaction here is very very serious. And I just want to point out some of the. Uh, Anaphora than we that we can we we can see here, he says, "Woe to you!" I don't even know how many times. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. At least seven times he says, "Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees!" And so, um, we understand that this is serious. For Jesus to say this over and over and over again, he's lamenting about. He is sorrowful. He's in despair about the condition of these souls. Which we get to see a little bit of at the end of Matthew 23. Um, but continuing, he talks about how they, it says you pay tithes. That's like, uh, it's like a tax. Well, I don't want to call it a tax. It's like a, like a, uh, not also quite a donation. It's like they, they take a portion of their, um, 
their resources and their money, their um, their mammon, you know, and give it to the church. That's kind of what tithing is. Um, he says, well, you do the tithing, but you neglect the weightier things of the law, judgment and mercy and fidelity. So he's highlighting the things that they are not um, really focusing on very well. Judgment and mercy and fidelity. Jesus yearns for the Pharisees to be merciful and gracious to their people. Um, to help them have rest and all of these other things. But um, as we observed in the beginning of Matthew 23, the Pharisees were not really doing that for the Israelites and for and for God's chosen people. I mean, he says, you should have been doing all of these things, not just the tiny things. And this is actually the verse I was talking about. I didn't know I was going to read it. It says, blind guides you who strain out the gnats and swallow the camel. So he's saying, again, they strain their water so they don't swallow a gnat. Um, instead, he's saying, you swallow a whole camel. So he's saying, even though on the outside, you're doing all these things to try to be perfect. On the inside, you are rotten to the core. You're like a beautiful apple that on the inside is rotting and moldy with maggots. It's kind of the picture we're getting here. And that kind of, that kind of uh, actually summarizes the, the, the rest of this chapter, or most of the rest of this chapter. He talks about you must clean clean the inside of the dish so the outside may be clean. And says they are full of plunder and self-indulgence. I know about I don't know about you guys, but for me that was kind of convicting. It's like how many times do I self-indulge, even in just like taking pleasure in having food, like oh I enjoy having this food and so this food and I continually enjoy these foods even if it's not necessarily what I should be doing, you know, it's like little things that we do all of the time that can be self-indulgent. And he calls that out in the Pharisees. And so I've been kind of reflecting on that myself. And I would encourage you guys to do the same. Um, but when he's using this cup metaphor, he's not literally talking about the cup. He's talking, he's talking about our, our souls, our, our spirit, our, our being, right? So he's saying, on the outside of the cup, which for us, um, extending the metaphor would be like our body. Like they, he talks about these fancy clothes they wear and how they uh, they look a certain way and they act a certain way. And it's this outside appearance, this outside persona of righteousness and holiness. But he says the inside of their cup is disgusting. And for the Pharisees, for potentially us, that's our heart, that's our soul. And... God wants us to make our insides clean first and then make our outsides clean. So if you're in a position where you're struggling with an addiction or a bad habit or um, something external out of you, and again, that can tie in with a heart posture. God wants to clean the inside of our cup first, the inside of us first. He wants, us to, he wants to cleanse us inside out. He wants to wash our souls um, by his blood on the cross. He wants to let us, he wants to wash our feet. He wants to anoint us in his Holy Spirit and clean us so that our our outside may become clean as well. It's kind of the uh, analogy or metaphor he's making there. Um, and w with that, I think I've talked a lot about the Pharisees. So my focus on reading Matthew 23 it's kind of this end, this end section here, um, 37 to the end of 24. 
And I'll just go ahead and read again. It says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How many times I yearn to gather your children together as a hen gathers her young under her wings, but you were unwilling. Behold, your house will be abandoned desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In these couple of verses, we get a lot. The first thing we get is that Jesus is almost in a, in a way like mourning. He literally tells the Pharisees that he's that he yearns to gather these people together and care for him. Like he wants to take care of these people. It's not just like you guys are authority figures and you should be doing better. Now I think he, I think he is saying that they should have acted and they should, they should have stewarded what has been given to them differently. But he also talks about like, he wants to gather them together. He wants to bring all of these people together and care for them. Um, but he said, but you were unwilling, but you were unwilling. I want to talk about this. This is huge. And I don't know if you guys watched the last episode, but I kind of talked about this in the last episode with faith, how faith impacts our experience as Christians um, with the supernatural, whether it's miracles, signs and wonders, or even if it's just things as um, understanding scripture or um having the fruits developed in us. It all kind of ties together into this this word faith. And this is kind of what Jesus talks about here too. He says that they were unwilling to be cared for. And that's interesting to us because <laughs> I mean, we sit here and say, if someone was offering to take care of us, I don't think very many of us would um, send that person away. Like It's like, <laughs> um, and especially when that person is Jesus, when that person is God. So Jesus is saying God wanted to care for them, but they were unwilling. And these were supposed to be God's chosen people, the Israelites. He, he chose them and made covenants with them to end fulfillment so that Jesus Christ could come, fulfill those covenants, um, and free the world of death and sin and sorrow and despair. For those who believe in him and have faith in him and trust in him. Um but it comes back to a willingness, as Jesus says here. But you were unwilling. He says, I wanted to, but you were unwilling. And so this goes back to a heart posture. What this is telling us is that our heart posture about um, our faith, our willingness to listen, to be cared for by God, it all goes back to us. And not just us. It, it comes from a place of submission and obedience and uh, faith and trust. We have to want to be helped. We have to be willing to be helped for Jesus and God to come in and change us in, in supernatural ways. And uh, that's really important. God, like, I'm not saying any of this, any of salvation, any of our experience has to do with, I mean, we're part of it, but it's not like we're the reason it's happening. Um, it, it's, it all goes back to God. So like our salvation is not something we can boast about. It is a gift and it's from God. It's by his grace, right? Um, and even then we know that he called us and chose us before um, we decided to believe and, and have faith in him. So it always goes back to God. But one thing Jesus is talking about here is that if we're unwilling to be helped or we 
don't have faith and trust that God can do these things, that he's unable to, that it takes a certain amount of faith and trust and willingness. Um, And those are things that God gives us as well. Those are things that God nourishes in us and grows in us. Um, But after we have been brought in and sealed in the Holy Spirit, there is a certain amount of um, responsibility in a sense for us as Christians to go back and ask God for more. Go back and submit our our, uh, position, uh, submit our dreams and our hopes and our anxieties again and again. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand and will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And so it's just, it's this idea that God has given us so much, um, but we should we should keep coming back to Him all the time. We should go back to God. We should recommit our faith in God. We should we should uh, desire to grow our faith and grow our willingness in God. It, it's an aching. It's a desire that that comes from truly being in God's spirit. Um, but I think that's important to point out is um, if we want to be cared for by God, we know that God's always in control. That He's always watching over us. But they lose the fact that um, for him to care for us in the way he desires, we have to be willing. We have to be willing to be helped and want to be helped. Um, and that's a big thing. Then he finishes by saying, Behold, your house will be abandoned and desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a promise. This is like a little mini promise. It's not really the one I want to talk about today. But basically he says, um, you need to acknowledge who I am. You need to accept um, who I am to see me again. And uh, yeah, that's big. But he's also trying to help the Pharisees. He's trying to help see that he is the son of God. He is the Messiah because they were very, very hesitant. So. Well, that was a lot of talking, <laughs> and I kind of want to get into the fruit I'm talking about today, um, and so I will do that. So, I wrote this. I read this chapter for kindness because I think this last little bit of Matthew 23 helps show us God's kindness. Because you know, He just spent like a whole page, like nearly a whole chapter rebuking these Pharisees, calling them hypocrites, children of hell, um, these really not good things. And he's, he's, call, he's calling them out. He's calling them out publicly, uh, which Paul is the pain of, by the way, of rebuking Christians publicly. But um, despite all of that, he finishes by saying, I want to take care of you. I want you to see who I am and to rest in me and do all, you know, all these things. He, he tells them he wanted to take care of them. And to me, that shows immense kindness. That's like if you had a bully and you gave this bully some of your stuff, your most valuable possessions, um, and they just, they didn't treat any of it well for a really long time, like your whole life. But at the end of your life, you still wanted to take care of these people. Um, that spoke against you, 
that didn't listen to you, that didn't respect you, that didn't love you how they should. I mean, that's and that's that's uh, not a perfect analogy. It's like despite all of that, God wants to take care of them. Jesus wants to take care of them. And to me, that shows immense kindness. Um, and speaking about kindness, I want to speak, or I want to read another verse here. Um, this is actually Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. It says, The spirits and the bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears this say, Come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. And um, so what is what is Revelation saying there? It's saying that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you are thirsty, if you are in this world, if you live in this world and you feel unsatisfied, you feel unfulfilled, you feel empty, you feel lonely, you feel spiritually hungry, maybe you're physically hungry, you feel spiritually thirsty, maybe you're actually thirsty, whatever the case is. Jesus is saying those who ache and desire for something that they can't seem to find, um, let them say, come. And he's talking about God. Let them say, come to Jesus Christ. Let them, let them embrace Jesus Christ and desire for his presence. And one step further, after they say, come, um, to receive God into their lives, to believe in Jesus Christ, let's say, come again for, for the coming of Christ. We should ache and ache and ache for that as Christians. I don't know about you guys, but I do. I ache and ache and ache for intimacy with God. I ache and ache and ache to just, um, just bask in the full presence and glory of God. To, to, to sit in his love. Jesus is just amazing. He's amazing. Um, and the little bit I've experienced already, he is amazing beyond anything I can understand. Um, and, he, and, and Jesus says, come. He says, come to me. And then he asks he asks us, asks as Christians, to also say, come. So about both sides are saying, come. And it, and, it, and it paints this image of beautiful unity. Uh, so, ooh, I'm working on memorizing. I think it's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. This is the famous... Um, uh, I'll try. I'll try to recite it here. It's not going to be perfect, but uh, then Jesus said, "Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, for I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and the burden I give you is light." I don't think it's perfect, but that's that's the general idea of the verse. So in that verse, that's that's Matthew. That's a little earlier in Matthew. Jesus is saying, come to me. And here in Revelation 22, 17, it says, us, says, let the spear and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears us say, come. Let anyone who's thirsty, come. So he's saying, all of us, our the, our spirits, but also the spirit of God in us, but also, he's, when he says the bride, he needs a church. So us as Christians, is saying, let us say, come. But Jesus also said, come. So it makes this beautiful unity of kindness. Jesus is saying, come to me, for I will I, I will give you rest. Uh, uh, I'll put an easy yoke on you. I'll give you a light burden. I, I'll relieve these burdens of this world. 
In Revelation 22, we're saying, come. We're saying all of us who are sinful and thirsty and we ache and ache and ache, um, we're being told to say, come. And so it's this beautiful imagery of mutual desire to be with each other. God wants us to be with him, to let us to let us be cared for by him. He wants to care for us. He wants to quench our thirst. He wants to quench our hunger. He wants to satiate us. He wants to fill us. And that's kind of tying in the end of 23, Matthew 11, 28 to 30, in Revelation 22, 17. It kind of paints this beautiful image. Um, and I hope you guys see that. Let's talk a little bit more about kindness as a fruit of the Spirit. Just in general, I think we all kind of have an inherent understanding of what kindness looks like. Um, but a lot of times, kindness kind of goes hand in hand with grace and mercy. So a lot of people we think of as kind are forgiving, tend to be quickly forgiven. Um, they're polite. They're, they just treat people with respect and they treat people with love. And, um, and sometimes they'll do things for people that they don't deserve. That's the grace aspect. And sometimes people do deserve something and kind people won't give them that to them. Like they'll say, no, it's okay. I forgive you. Maybe I deserve to be angry at you, but I, I, I forgive you. Like, you know, so there's this, there, it, it ties a lot in with other aspects of God and with um, Jesus. Um, but it comes from a heart posture. And that's why I wanted to read 23. Says, These Pharisees did not have this heart posture of kindness and mercy. Um, and I also wanted to emphasize that true kindness is a is kindness that comes from God. We see a lot of kind people in the world that are not Christians. But to be kind out of an actually good heart posture, we have to have the spirit of the truth, a spirit of truth inside of us. We have to have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have to be sealed in God. Um, and it also talks about being kind, not to just our friends. We see a lot of kind people, but they're kind to their family and their friends. God is kind to his enemies. We were his enemies. And while we, we were his, while we were sinners, the, the, the greatest of sinners, that's when Jesus died for us and took that upon himself, the wrath of punishment on himself, so that we um, could have victory over death and sin um, by sharing in Jesus' inheritance. He defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated illness. All of his miracles reflect that. It was against death, sin, illness, Oh, there's two more. I don't remember what that is. Uh, sins, death, illness. Uh, there's like uh, healing. So it had to do with like genetic. If you're genetically born a certain way. These all these things that. Uh, oh, and hunger. Hunger, he fed people. Um, and there's the spiritual counterparts for, counterparts for all of that. But Jesus conquered those things for us because he loved us. Even when we were sinners, even when in God's eyes, we were his enemies. And that's why we're called to be kind in the same way to our enemies. Um, and I did a little bit of a word study. The Greek word for kindness is kreistotes, um, which kind of, it so translates into kindness, obviously. But it also translates into like integrity, benignity, which is kind of, that's another word for kindness. Moral goodness in addition with uh uh, like a kind heart posture. So it's kind of like kindness, but also kind of like merciful, but it's also kind of like integrity, kind of mix those things together. And that's kind of this 
kindness that God's talking about, but on the level of dwelling in God's spirit. So it's this kind of kindness that's a little more complex than just normal kindness from God's spirit. Um, so this is not something we can just like willpower into our lives. It's something that God has to develop in us by us resting in him, by trusting his word, by all these other things. But with this kindness that God gives us, it, it starts to allow us to be kind to people that we normally want to be kind to. Like for myself, there's a lot of people I don't want to be kind to, but God helps me to be kind to. Even if, um, I don't know if I would call them my enemies, but they're not not necessarily people that I, um, I'm just happy with all the time. Well, I talked a lot about that, so I want to move on to the promise, which is servitude. And this is a little bit more abstract, and there's a lot that goes into this aspect of servitude for us as Christians. But I want to focus on just a little aspect of it that I've been uh, meditating on. And, and that comes from Isaiah 65, verses 13 through 15. That's a, and it says, Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My servants will eat, but you will you will starve. My servants will drink, but you will be thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be sad and ashamed. My servants will sing for joy, but you will cry in sorrow and despair. Your name will be a curse word among my people, for the sovereign Lord will destroy you and will call his true servants by another name. So that's a, that's a strong verse. <laughs> um, now, in the verse, it says you, I think, if I remember correctly, he's talking to uh, Jerusalem or Israel right now. So he's talking when they're in a state of rebellion, I think. So he's kind of isolating his servants versus the servants of um, Satan, which is anybody who isn't a Christian. But I wanted to focus on what he says here. He says, my servants will eat, my servants will drink. My servants will rejoice and my servants will sing for joy. And to some of us, this may feel a little bit backwards. We have this negative connotation of servitude um, in our world now because it's, it's associated with a lack of freedom, um, oppression, all of these other aspects. But that's not what God says his servants will be like. He says his servants will be cared for in amazing ways we'll eat and drink and and sing for joy and rejoice we'll just be the happiest people it's interesting it, it calls us to look at servitude with christ in a different mindset than maybe we see servitude um among this world especially in our modern culture right now um and i know for some christians it's like well i i want to be a christian but i feel like it's going to limit my freedom um, or I'm not going to be able to do the things I want to do, which maybe is true. Maybe there's things we want to do that isn't necessarily good for us, that are sinful, that um, feed our pleasures, that feed our lusts and, and desires of the flesh. Obviously, we don't want to do those things. But God says that his servants that listen to him and obey him, accept and obey his commandments, um, that will will be fed, will drink. And not just physically, but on a spiritual level, he will... Give us spiritual food, the word of God, spiritual drink. You'll reveal things to us. And, um, we'll, we will rejoice. We'll just be so happy in the Lord's presence to the point we'll sing for joy. And that's kind of the picture um, 
Isaiah 65, 13 through 15 is painting. It also says that he will call us each by another name. So he's going to give us another name just between us and the Lord, um, which actually ties into Revelation somewhere, which is kind of cool. There's <laughs> a little bit of a cross-reference for you guys. But I also wanted to read Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, For am I now seeking the favor of people or of God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. This is Paul talking. But I think this verse ties a lot in with Matthew 23. I think where the Pharisees went wrong is instead of seeking the favor of God, they were seeking the favor of people. Instead of seeking praise from God and all these things from God to be cared for by God, um, they didn't really have a will for that. But they were willing to be praised by people. They were willing to be given honor by people. They were willing to be cared for and called rabbi by people. And so it's kind of backwards. God doesn't want us to be the one receiving all the glory and honor and praise. He wants to, He wants us to be the one giving the glory, honor, and praise to God um, by being servants. But we know that, again, from what we just read, uh, his servants are in a very, very good spot. But it causes us to adjust our heart posture again. I think it correlates with kindness. I think true kindness comes from a place of trying to please the Lord. If we're trying to please the Lord, then our joy doesn't have to do with what other people think. Our joy doesn't have to do with um, how other people treat us. It has to do with God, how God is with us. And we know God's perfectly loving and perfectly caring and uh, perfectly joyful and peaceful and, and gracious and tender and compassionate. So out of that place, the Lord, we can be happy and joyful and we can be kind to people, even if they're harming us or directly persecuting us. We can still be kind. We can still turn the other cheek. We can still love our enemies, uh, which is pretty cool. If you ask me, that's um, pretty awesome. Um. And again, so I'm just looking at my notes here. So again, that kind of talks about this promise that as servants of God, we're not necessarily losing freedom. We are finding true freedom, actual freedom, and being being in the hands of God by being cared for by God, by being fed and and um, by giving uh, the living water to us by God. And out of that place, we can be kind to other, we can be kind to other people in a way that surpasses our understanding now we can also receive joy security love and peace um, in a way that surpasses our understanding that all and it all comes full circle back to god it comes back to a place of trying to please god it comes back to a place of trusting and relying on god not in our own strength so in every way it comes back to god it comes back to jesus um, and especially for me this has been something that I've been convicted of a lot recently is trying to do things in my own strength by trying to focus on things in my own world instead of focusing on God's perspective, on pleasing God and trusting God, relying on God, um, seeking God for joy and love and peace. Uh, and as Christians, I think um, to be good and faithful servants, it goes right back to God, always back to God. And to be good and faithful servants, we have to let God take care of us which feels a little backwards to us too. Um, but that just shows the grace and mercy and love of, um, of our perfect Heavenly Father.
Um, I also want you guys to think about how um, uh, to just think of ways on how we can rely on God. So obviously we can rely on God, like being in his word, meditating on his word, praying. Um, but I also think we can rely on God in places of um, fellowship and, and by seeking him um, continually. Paul talks about continual prayer. And so I think instead of just doing these kind of textbook things of Christianity, like, oh, got to pray twice a day, pray, you know, like they're, it's very regimented and very structured. Instead, I think we should be focusing more on seeking to continue to pray continually, to seek him continually, to seek fellowship with him continually um, and to treat fellowship with other believers or even with fellowship with unbelievers um, from a place of being with God. Um, and that's interesting too. I also want to encourage you guys to, myself included, for us to ask God how we can be more kind to one another as Christians, but also as family members, also as wives and husbands, um, and to help show us ways that we haven't been kind in the past, or even today, or the past week, or whatever that looks like. Um, um, and to ask us to help treat others how the Lord treats us. Well, you know, the golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated. Um, and I also encourage you guys to reflect on um, our actions. And I, I didn't mention this earlier, our heart, pos- our heart posture um, we had while we made this action. So if we think of a way we've been kind, I want you to take one step farther than that. I think when I was doing something kind, what was my heart like in that moment? Was I being kind because I was happy and joyful with God? Or was I being kind so that my brothers and sisters would see me being kind and think, oh, he's a good person, you know? So I want you guys to lay open your hearts and really reflect on the heart posture too. So I know for myself, sometimes I'm kind and it's definitely not for the right reason. Sometimes I'm kind because I want other people to think of me as kind, um, and that goes back to me seeking the favor of man instead of God. Um, and so I know at least this topic for me has been super convicting for me. And I hope it's been convicting and encouraging for you guys as well. So that was a lot. Um, thank you for hanging in with me. And um, I'm going to go ahead and pray pray out. So um, thank you, Lord Jesus, for everything you've done for us, for being so kind to us and gracious and merciful for us. Um, Lord, I know that we are no better than the Pharisees that you've given us. You've given us so much, but that we still struggle with um, seeking the favor of men, that we still struggle um, to let our inside of our cups be clean, Lord. We still struggle with um, looking righteous on the outside, but being dirty on the inside, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for cleansing us, for anointing us in your spirit, anointing us in your living water, Lord, by, by cleaning us on the inside out so that we can have a good standing with God, so that we can receive salvation and justification and sanctification and glorification, Lord. We thank you, Jesus Christ, for your ministry and work, your ministry and work and sacrifice for us. For you knew, you, you knew Lord, that we cannot be with you the way we are right now, that we are fallen and evil and sinful, and that um, 
to enjoy your presence, to to be to be with you, Lord, that you had to give up your son, Jesus. Um, and you chose to do that, Lord, just because you loved us. Um, and because of that, Lord, we I just want to pause and say thank you. I know that without you, Lord, my life would be miserable, that I would be hopeless and despairing and sorrowful, um, that I would be thirsty, I would be hungry for something that I couldn't have, Lord. Um, but you're so gracious and so merciful and so loving that you let us you let us be in your presence, that you feed us, Lord, that you give us water, that you um, sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross just for us, Lord. Uh, and I pray that we wouldn't forget that. We would keep that in our hearts and be grateful, Lord. Um, for I can't imagine a life without you, Lord Jesus Christ. I can't imagine not being fed by you. I can't imagine not being um, given living water by you, Lord. I can't imagine living out this life without your help and guidance, Lord, it would be so hard. It would be so hard. I pray that you would help us to be kind to others as you've been kind to us. Um, that when we think about your kindness, it would just overwhelm us to the point where we tear up, Lord, that we're, that we, we, our hearts break full of love and joy and gratitude for what you've done. Um, and help us be that way for others, Lord. I ask you to stir up your work in the field, ignite us with your all-consuming fire, so that we we um, may be good servants and stewards of what you've given us, Lord. Uh, just thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Help us to pray continually. Help bolster our faith in you, Lord, um, so that we would be willing and faithful, so that you can work in our lives in miraculous ways, Lord. We know that your power, your extent of your influence is um, infinite, Lord, that you can do whatever you wish. Um, and thank you for uh, wishing to bring us to yourself, Lord. Thank you for letting us say come. And thank you for saying come to us, Lord. Um, it's beautiful, and I don't want any of us to forget that. Um, and to uh, um, to respond to Revelation twenty two seventeen, 17, I, I say, um, please come, Jesus Christ. I know all of us are eager for your presence. Um, also help us be patient while we wait so that um, other people will be brought to you for your glory, for your kingdom, Lord, um, just like you are patient for us. So, thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for this time. Um, and we love you. Um, Help us, help, us show, help us show the world that by our actions and our heart posture, by our faith. I pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, guys. Well, <laughs> this um, wrapped up the series Fruits and Promises. Um, I'll get back to you guys soon with um, more stuff to talk about. Maybe a new series or maybe just more standalone episodes. But Whatever it is, I'll see you guys soon, and thank you for sticking through the series with me, um, and I hope it was fruitful and encouraging for you guys. So I love you all. I'll see you soon, and God bless.